0: underestimated the busyness of my past week and it it got to a point where it was either going to be don't release an episode at all because I don't have time for this or go ahead and release the uh, already planned to be coming out diverse theology frequently assume things about other denominations so uh, happy early Christmas to you. It was a Christmas in July gift to you to already get that special ahead of time. It was supposed to come out here at the end of August, but don't worry, folks. Your, your, your fears are can now be calmed. The Summer of Bonhoeffer is back, is still here, and will be here with us until the end of August. I'm sure if you completely missed that uh, update <laughs> on Facebook and Instagram, that when you got to Saturday and turned that on, you were probably like, I mean, there's a Lutheran on here, but this has nothing to do with Bonhoeffer. That is correct, because that was recorded back in May at the Every Tribe Denomination and Tongue Convention. Um, Had a great time. If you haven't listened to it yet, definitely go check it out. I understand if you're just here for the Bonhoeffer content, then maybe... That episode means nothing to you, but it is a great conversation with a Lutheran, a Southern Baptist, a Pentecostal, and a thing, whatever Josh is, about um, assumptions people have about their denomination and understanding better what everybody's group actually believes about certain things that oftentimes we stereotype that like, oh, you're a... A Lutheran—that means you believe X, Y, Z. So, it's a great—it's a good conversation. It's a great talk. But if you're here for the Bonhoeffer content, don't worry. I'm with you here until the end of the month, because if you also aren't following the show on Facebook and Instagram, which you should, my at my Seminary Life Pod for both of those. You may have missed the announcement for what's coming up in September. We're headed into the way, way back machine to go all the way back, not just to 1930s, like we have been for the past couple of months, but all the way back to ancient Greece. That's right. We're going to spend the early um, months of the fall, September and October, in ancient Greece, and there are, there are reasons for that. And again, if you're just here for the Bonhoeffer stuff, at least give that first episode in September a try to, so you can hear why I think we need to spend some time in ancient Greece. It's going to be a lot of fun. Seriously, like there's really fun episodes planned as we get into understanding the cultural context and influence of ancient Greece. But that's for September. Right now, you care about Bonhoeffer. One quick my life update uh, before we get into the prayer book of the Bible for today's episode. I recently started a new Instagram page. Uh, It's called Going Collecting, at Going Collecting, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, Long story short, again, my therapist has been encouraging me to get out, go be with adults, And reconnect with my old hobbies. And being a lifelong geek, uh, I collect a number of things. Comic books specifically, vinyl records, a couple Funko Pops, some Legos here and there. Um, But... I have always enjoyed going and collect, going to shops, antique stores, comic book stores, record stores, whatever, and just browsing. It's fun because you never know what thing you're going to find. You could go there looking for Star Wars and come back with something of the Beatles, you know? So that's what the Instagram page is going to be. It's going to highlight the places I'm going, the fun stuff I'm finding, and also be a place to talk a little bit about mental health every once in a while as well. So if you haven't yet already, I know a bunch of you have already found it. But again, it's called uh, Going Collecting at Going Collecting on Instagram. And that's it. It's not a blog or a YouTube channel or a podcast. It's literally just something that will show up on your Instagram feed every once in a while. Very noncommittal. You, you, go check it out. Anyway, so we're here today to pick things back up with the prayer book of the Bible. This is Bonhoeffer's book on the Psalms. Let's reset the scene a little bit since we're... Uh, Had a week off here, so let's reset the scene. The year is 1935. Bonhoeffer is getting ready for a trip to India to go study pacifism under Gandhi. When he get he gets an invitation and accepts this invitation to be the head of a secret seminary, an illegal underground seminary in Germany. In Germany, by this point, 1935. Germany is under full Nazi control and there's official Reich churches and nationalistic theology being proclaimed. So this was going to be a secret seminary to continue to build true gospel theologians under Hitler's nose. This only lasted for a little while. The Gestapo eventually do show up to shut down the seminary. But from Bonhoeffer's time being the head of this seminary, this small, close-knit seminary, three books came out from this experience. Um, Prayer Book of the Bible is one of them. The Cost of Discipleship, which is often regarded, again, as one of his one of the greatest books in Christianity, uh, and his best book in general. And then Life Together, which was the book that we talked about uh, last time here on the Summer of Bonhoeffer, going over that book in detail. We are not going to go over the prayer book, the Bible, in detail. We're just going to talk about the uh, introduction, the general setup and premise to the book, and um, For this episode, just to kind of have a little bit of a conversation about the Psalms and about prayer is what we're going to be doing here today. Uh, For those of you in the back row, I am aware of the fact that C.S. Lewis also wrote a book about the book of Psalms. In that since Josh and I already did one comparative study between Bonhoeffer and C.S Lewis, it would make sense to do the run it back and do another one, comparing both of their books on the Psalms. The problem is is that comparing two speeches is very different from comparing two whole books. So I'll just put it like this, not today maybe in the future that honestly sounds like an entire series in of itself to compare Bonhoeffer and C.S. Lewis on what they had to say about the Psalms that sounds more like an entire series in of itself rather than just a one and done episode with Josh and I but we'll put that one on the back burner if uh if I am understanding everybody correctly from some of the conversations I've been having with people, honestly, if I started a whole second podcast just on Bonhoeffer, that would probably be great because it sounds like everybody's really enjoying This is the first time in show history that I've gotten so many vocal people about how much they're enjoying this series. So I thank you for being so vocal. I appreciate your support. And yes, there will be more in the future. But we have other things to talk about here on the show as well, like like ancient Greece, because that matters. Think about the what-if scenario for a moment. From Bonhoeffer's experience in this seminary, three very significant books are written, Life Together, Cost of Discipleship, Prayer Book of the Bible. One could argue from some of the... Uh, some of the context I'm going to bring up here in a second, that prayer book, the, prayer book of the Bible was always going to be written. That's like a fixed point in the timeline to sound very Marvel-like for a second. But just consider this for a moment. What if Bonhoeffer said no? What if instead of accepting the invitation to go be the head of this secret seminary, instead he says, no, what is more important is that I go to India and learn about pacifism from Gandhi. Does that mean the cost of discipleship is never written? Think about that for 10 seconds and tell me you don't want to go walk into the middle of the ocean. What if If he says no to the seminary, does Life Together ever get published? And instead, if he says yes to going on his mission to India, am I instead sitting here, or maybe in the last episode for the summer of Bonhoeffer am i sitting here talking about a book on how pacifism is the way that christians should engage wartime am i instead talking about a book that collects all of his his letters or his journals about his time being sitting under gandhi is that is that what we would be talking about instead It's an interesting what-if scenario. This takes us back to uh, Pastor Will and I talking about in the first episode how if Bonhoeffer's not killed in prison, there's a possibility that he could have lived all the way to like the mid to late 1980s. So just the what-if scenario of what Bonhoeffer would have said about the Vietnam War, about uh, Germany post-World War II, about, um, you know... Reaganism about you know all these different things the cold war the space race like what Bonhoeffer would have said what if he doesn't go back to Germany to be the head of this seminary and instead heads off to India is this the is this the decision that seals his fate do do these books the you know at least two of these three books are these that are like prominent and have changed people's lives about how they view god are they never written we can't you know speculate too long about all of this because that's not really what we're here for today but it it was a thought that i had as i was preparing these two less these two episodes on these books written from this time So not to bury the lead, but the the prayer book of the Bible is essentially a book about the Psalms, but also set up under this general idea of when the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. The reason why I said there's a possibility this book was always going to be written is because Thinking about prayer had been on the mind of Dietrich Bonhoeffer for years already. He wrestles it out more during his time in the seminary, but the uh, the the ideas had been formulating in his head for years already. So there's always a possibility that we were always going to get this book, but this the general idea is this moment where the disciples say Lord teach us to pray and that this needs to be our heart still today of asking God teach us to pray because of our sin our words are fallen everything about us is fallen depending on your views on total depravity and so our words are fallen and so the best way for us to pray is to pray God's word back to him because it is holy and sanctified and all those good things. What there's something interesting about this writing, and I felt a bit of tension reading this. And I have to keep in mind, and we all need to keep in mind as we get into this subject, that we're only looking at a small snippet. We're not looking at the whole thing here today. This is a small snippet of a much larger book. But there was a very interesting editorial note. Um, from the editors, obviously, um, getting into this normally there's not in this book I've been reading where a lot of this material comes from. Uh, these uh, the editors don't comment too much of their own perspective. It's this the purpose of the editors is to p- provide this like context stuff that I've been giving to you. Um, Bonhoeffer has, according to this, the editors, um, a very Christological reading of the Psalms and of the Old Testament in general. But specifically here of the Psalms, it is very Christological, meaning that like Jesus is on every single page and in every single psalm several different ways. And they write that this is both a good thing and a bad thing. It was good, particularly in the time period when Bonhoeffer was writing this book and teaching these things, because the Old Testament had really fallen out of favor by this point during the rise of the Nazi party and even prior to that the um, use of the Old Testament had really fallen out of favor in Germany so here Bonhoeffer is in a way reclaiming and taking back the Old Testament for the new the Old Testament for the modern church in Germany and for the modern church around the world at that time period the authors go on to say though that the this is bad because the to the extent that Bonhoeffer is reading Christologically of the of the Psalms of the Old Testament it it goes as far as being anti- Judaism there's there's no understanding uh, or there is no account taken of what these passages and what these Psalms would have meant to the original Jewish, singers who were singing these songs as they were headed up to Jerusalem or in the temple itself. And to me, I'm not, uh, this is me. I'm, they did not say this to me. That is in itself, then a form of a light form of antisemitism to be so dismissive of what someone else believes or what, the Jewish people, what the Jewish faith is saying and believing that influences the meaning of this text is in itself its own form of anti-Semitism. You know, we talked about very recently how I think we really need to get back to reading and studying what Jewish people, what rabbis specifically have had to say about old Testament passages to better understand the context, better understand even what the passage is actually saying. This is totally not what, um, Oh, what's that? Andy Stanley. I wanted to say Andy Sandberg. That's absolutely the wrong person. This is very different from what Andy Stanley has to say about, you know, unhitching our wagon to the old Testament. Um, I think if anything, we need to dig more into the Old Testament and dig more into the Jewish theology and thought behind the Old Testament um, to better understand it for our own faith. But there is a weird tension that we have to walk within Christianity, and weird is probably is not the most appropriate word to use there, but there is a weird tension that we have to walk within Christianity of knowing that the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus but not to shoehorn Jesus into things that he may not be a part of, the Old Testament does point forward to Jesus. he it, the Old Testament points forward to the Messiah, right? Uh, I've been reading for I've been reading and teaching um about theophanies and typologies of the Old Testament to my small group uh based off of the book. Um, The Unfolding Mystery by Edmund Clowney, which is often considered like the book on this subject of typologies and theophanies when the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus or these moments where it looks like pre-incarnate Jesus is literally in the moment. But what we have to remember is that as we are looking at these passages where it's pointing forward to the Messiah, Abraham in the moment is not thinking... This is pointing forward to Jesus. Like, we have to keep in mind that this meant something to Abraham. For example, when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. um, Like, this moment meant something to Abraham, and it meant something to the original audience, and it may indeed be pointing forward to the Messiah still. We have to take all of these things into consideration. That's a bit of a rabbit trail. Sorry about that. All of that is to say that as we get into this snippet, this tweet, or whatever we call those now, of the larger book, the prayer book of the Bible, that we only have partial information that we're working with here. And what we have here in the introduction, most of it I can agree with. But when we start getting into more of this very heavily Christological understandings, I start to get a little... little dubious. This is the first time that a lot of what Bonhoeffer has talked about so far I have really enjoyed and I agree with and I've been growing in my faith from it. This is one of those where I'm still processing and I'm not sure if I'm fully on board with. The part that I can really get on on board with here though is this initial setup of we need to be taught how to pray. There is this Idea out there, even within modern Christianity, and clearly must have existed when Bonhoeffer was first writing this, that we don't have to learn how to pray. Prayer is just something that you do, that it just comes naturally. I remember uh, one of the classes I was required to take for my bachelor's was a class on prayer. It was called Principles and Practices of Prayer. It was a very popular course. Um, one of those that everybody wanted to take for their elective, which made all of us who had to take the class really mad because it made it difficult for us to get in the class. Um, but yes. And I remember talking about this and I was really excited. And I was talking to some of my friends when I finally got in to take it. And one of them was like, why do you have to take a class on prayer? You just do it. And you know, For some people, maybe prayer does come very naturally. I have heard some people pray, and I'm like, man, I would really like to be able to pray like that person. Um, But that gets into like a heart motive thing of like, do I want to have a a prayer life that is active and healthy, or do I want to sound super eloquent when I pray? Think about that for a moment. Um, But we do need to learn how to pray. If the disciples have to ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'll sound cliche for a moment. They do not ask, Lord, teach us to preach. They ask, Lord, teach us to pray. If they have to ask, Lord, teach us to pray, who are we to think that we shouldn't ask that as well? We need to learn how to pray. And the sheer amount of books on the subject of prayer really speak to the fact that we need to learn how to pray. We Prayer is... I wish prayer was simpler. I wish I could be like these people who say, why do you have to take a class on prayer? Why do you have to read a book on prayer? You just do it. I I feel like if prayer is one of our main forms of communication with God, and we're fallen, and I have fallen communication with my wife often, and we have to work on our communication skills and go to counseling to work at these things out, then I, I probably need to read a book or in Bonhoeffer's case, spend time in the Bible to learn how to pray. He even uses the example of like children learn how to talk from their parents, right? Cooper is learning how to producer. Cooper is learning how to speak because he hears me and mama and Bluey and Elmo talk. Like those are his four main influences of learning how to talk. So He might end up talking in the third person because Elmo talks in the third person. Um, But children learn how to speak from their parents. And so carrying that logic out, we need to learn how to pray. We need to learn how to talk from our heavenly father, from our parent, our heavenly father. Um, And the way that we learn how to pray is not a vain, empty repetition of the Lord's prayer as you may expect or assume because Bonhoeffer's Lutheran and they just repeat things and it's empty and blah, blah, blah. But instead, what he says is that we primarily learn how to pray and we pray righteously, to use my own word there, by praying the Psalms to God. This is his word to us And so, and this is a unique book because this book is primarily prayers, songs that are prayers. And so we not just learn how to pray, but we pray righteously by reading, by praying the words of the Psalms back to God. And you may be thinking the The Psalms aren't going to cover every single thing that I want to talk to God about. And Bonhoeffer knows that. And so the thing you have to keep in mind is that when you pray a Psalm, you have to think, what does this say about Jesus, not about you? Which is good, but this is where we're starting to blur into this this idea of him having a very Christological understanding of the Psalms. Because in Bonhoeffer's mind, David is called to be, or is anointed to be king of Israel, right? He even speculates, and I, there's no proof of this. I kind of like it, though. Um, there's no like specific biblical text about this, but I, I like this idea. He speculates that when Saul has the evil spirit upon him and David goes and plays the harp to get rid of the, the evil spirit this is where Bonhoeffer speculates is when he starts writing the Psalms. This is the moment where David starts having this musical influence over the, over Saul, over this evil spirit, because David is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so he is speaking the words of God over Saul. And so this evil spirit leaves and Saul can calm down. Um, But it is, Jesus speaking through David, Jesus praying through David, who is praying, writing these psalms, and then we pray those prayers back to God. It's a big circle of prayers. The circle of prayers. Um, anyway, he also takes into account that the majority of the psalms are either written by David by people related to David or by people appointed by David. And because of the Davidic influence and the fact that from the line of David comes the Messiah, all of these prayers are prayers by Jesus through people writing them into songs for Israel and for us today to pray back. And this is where we're getting into a lot of, I, I believe this is where we start getting into this blurry area of maybe being a little too Christological, which sounds, it, it kind of makes me feel a little icky to say that. But again, we only have a small snippet here, and that's really it. That is, that is the whole episode, folks. We need to learn how to pray, and one of the best ways to do that is to pray the Psalms. And this, you know, there are some traditions. I believe it is the Presbyterian Church, or at least the Presbyterian Church that my brother-in-law is at, that they do a lot of singing of the Psalms. There are some some groups, some Christians, some denominations out there that that's what they sing. They sing the songs. They sing the Psalms. They are the hymn book of the Bible, right? So, what better music? would there be to sing than the holy word of God, right? And this, you know, this might get into the whole worship wars thing of like, well, we should be singing hymns. Oh, what about modern worship songs? What about all those early 2000s worship songs that we don't sing anymore? And, you know, it's almost like we should do a series here in the future on worship So here's my takeaway. I am all for reading the Psalms. (laughs) Let's just start there. I am even all for the idea of congregationally singing or reading or praying the Psalms together. You know, I do go to a large non-denominational church and Don't get me started about worship at non-denominational churches. I'm starting to have a little bit of disillusionment with this folks. Um, I would be all for the idea of us routinely singing, reading, praying, whatever the Psalms corporately together. Producer Cooper and I our little, uh, devotional time in the morning. That's what I do. I read him Psalms. We're, We're reading the book of Psalms together for now. Um, until we can find an appropriate children's Bible for him, and by appropriate I mean not whitewashed. I'm all for these things. I'm all for us learning how to pray, and taking it, taking the initiative to read books, listen to good preaching, and read things and read prayers. Even you know, like Valley of Vision or something. This very Christological understanding of how the Psalms are composed and what the Psalms are about, where we're maybe getting to the point where we're disregarding what this text meant to the original Jewish audience, that's where I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit. From this, though, I had a couple follow-up questions. I got some questions here for us to think and reflect on, see what you all think. So, what about songs written um, under the influence of the Holy Spirit? What about these songs that we've had hymns or worship songs, otherwise, that were genuinely written under the influence of the Holy Spirit? We, uh, I'm not dumb. I know that the Christian music industry is just that—an industry—and so, you know, yeah, there are there are people out there who are gen- who are genuine in writing their music under the influence of the Holy Spirit being, you know, and not like writing Bible passages. That's not what I mean by writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is illuminating truth to them and guiding them in writing something scriptural, reading something, uh, writing something that is, you know, um, theologically accurate. I'm a big fan. I was listening to earlier today, Andrew Peterson, shout out to that guy. He's never going to hear this episode, but shout out to him anyway. Um, very scripturally heavy, in his music. I love it so much. Um, kind of a Rich Mullins sound too. Um, I, you know, you have these people who write genuine songs, you know, like accurate, theologically rich songs. Um, a lot of the Christian music industry, I'm aware of these things. They're written by think tanks, songs written by think tanks who are trying to make money. Record labels want to make money. The songs that you hear on the radio are okay, but they're, you know, they're the styles that are popular right now. They're the themes that are popular right now. So maybe they're, they're genuine, but they're still written with a pers- a specific like outcome, if you will. But what about these songs that are like, you know, they're, they are authentic, right? They're, they're written under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, again, I'm not trying to say we should canonize Jesus Freak, even though it is a perfect song. But what about these songs? Like Jesus is speaking through David, who is then writing these things. Okay, what about other modern or hymns even as well? Amazing Grace, for an example, that it's, this is good. This is accurate. This is worshipful to God. Aren't, can't we be praying these? Should we be praying these? Should we be canonized? I, sh- I don't think we should be canonizing these. If you watch Secrets of Hillsong, their music is basically turned out. It's basically in like this, you know, constantly in a state of hell trying to write music for Hillsong United and their other bands. Like, but when the music is worshipful, theologically right, um, guided by the Holy Spirit, like should we be praying these songs? Should we be upholding these things in uh, in a similar way that the Book of Psalms is upheld by Bonhoeffer? Understanding that it is different because the Psalms are in the Bible, and you know, elevation worship is not. But that was one question that came to mind. Like, if the origin is significant, then does this apply to our current situation? Another question that came to mind, and this falls under the umbrella of being culturally relevant. We haven't done one of those in a while. What about songs written by AI? And I know some of you are currently laughing at the idea of, like... (laughs) We're using AI to write music. Well, seeing how there's already churches in Europe using AI to not just write, but also preach sermons, it's not going to be beneath anybody to use ChatGPT to write a, a, a song. It's not. It, it may already be happening, right? Um, I would recommend checking out a YouTube channel I like following called Wretched. They are a little bit more... I shouldn't say a little bit more they are very conservative um, but sorry to all of my friends it is like the highest quality production I have ever seen for a faith-based YouTube channel understanding that they clearly have money to produce high quality content but it's it's worth checking out both for this video where they, the host talks about AI, and also just to see the production quality of these videos. They're very good. And the humor is actually pretty good too. Um, but like should, should we be using AI to write worship songs? Is that something we should be doing right now? I highly doubt that Bonhoeffer's book in its totality is going to address that. <laughs> AI. Um, there are people, this seems to be... This seems to be the hot button topic right now, I would say, is AI, because it's becoming, it is already becoming very normal. People are making AI chat thingies for everything now. There was one holy post just talked about called Bible Mate, I think, that's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be an AI that you can ask Bible questions and it will give you. Answers based off of a database and an ever growing knowledge of like scholarly articles and perspectives, and da 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 da. Should we be using these things to write worship songs? And there's always going to be people who say, no, it's evil because it's different. And there's always going to be people who say, yes, it's a tool, use it. Um, That just seems to be the nature of how things work within Christianity and in life in general. I am kind of falling more on the no side, not because it's different and therefore evil. But I think although it is a tool that can be helpful, like the way I see it, like worship should be done by us and it should originate from us. And yeah, I know there's a question mark at the end of that sentence, but it's because this has been something I've been working on in my like processing and praying of like thinking about AI. I did not sign up for this. I did not sign up for Terminators taking my jobs. <laughs> take, I always thought, you know, robots or monkeys were gonna take my job at the grocery store. I did not sign up for Terminators preaching in the pulpit. I did not <laughs> I did not plan for that one. I did not plan on having to Think through that one critically. There are resources out there, some really good books and who knows, maybe in the future we need to do a AI series here on MSL. One last question that kind of popped into my mind thinking about this whole prayer thing is what about, pre-written prayers you know take again specifically for example the book valley of vision if there's anything the puritans were really good at it was writing about prayer writing about the holiness of god and killing innocent women because they thought they were witches because they had the audacity to think for themselves which is the working title for my book on the salem witch trials but they have this you know you have the valley of vision and with it which is a collection of prayers you know what about those? What about again? Kind of going back to this like um, songwriting thing. If the writing is scripturally accurate, if it's um, you know guided by the Holy Spirit, then can't we use? Can't we use these? And I, I feel like maybe my questions are more so geared towards trying to find the exceptions of the matter. Um, but what about the, you know when we have these resources that. Are well-worded prayers, you know, um, it's possible that Bonhoeffer would say no because he comes, he sets up this working principle of because we are sinners, our words are fallen. And so the best place for us to pray is the word of God. Um, so maybe that's it. It's not even good enough when we're talking about the word of God or when we are um, referencing scripture, It the best thing for us to do is to pray God's word. Um, just to, just to consider it, just a thought, you know, we talked about back in the um, episode on preaching how much Bonhoeffer was emphasizing speaking the word of God and, you know, going back to life together. We looked at the family devotional time in the morning and in the evening. And both of those times you're reading the Psalms and you're reading scripture together, but there's no like Commentary on it. You're not teaching. You're not preaching. You're you're just reading God's word together, and so maybe another thing that we can take from this is to have a higher view of Scripture as a result of this of this time. There's been a lot of good things that we can take from Bonhoeffer. You know, we went into this with this working idea of his his uh, high view of community, his high view of um, life together. Um, and also being very Lutheran But we've we've seen a lot of things Since this first episode A high view of scripture A high view of serving one another And um, yeah It's been a good series I'm kind of ready for it to be done I'm, I'm kind of ready to start thinking about something else for a while But that that makes sense Because we've been doing this for three months now Okay, let's go ahead and start wrapping up this episode. Hey, if you really, 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 really like this episode, and you would like to maybe show that show that appreciation with a little bit of financial support, you can head on over to BuyMeACoffee.com/slash/mslpod and leave a virtual tip. Uh, Each cup of coffee is three dollars. So if you've been enjoying this series or in and you know, maybe you really like this episode, then uh, you can leave a little three dollar tip, or you can subscribe to the MSL Fan Club there on Buy Me a Coffee. There's two different tiers um, where you can give monthly support to the show. Everyone who supports the show at the nine dollars a month tier gets a shout out here on the show. And guess what, folks? We have our very first subscriber to that tier so shout out to lori for supporting the show each month um appreciate you i appreciate your kind words and your prayers and obviously your financial support as well and your friendship you're good i you're great. So if you want to join Lori on this uh, cast of characters who are supporting the show each month, again, uh, buymeacoffee.com slash mslpod. uh, Subscribe to the $9 a month tier. You also get access to exclusive posts as well, which the $5 a month tier gets you access to those posts as well. Yeah, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm very thirsty. Uh, so thank you all for listening to this episode. Rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts at. And like I said, we will be back next week. More Bonhoeffer. Same Bonhoeffer time. Same Bonhoeffer channel. Summer of Bonhoeffer goes on. But until then, uh, this is Brandon signing off. Reminding you, as always, that theology is for everyone. So keep on studying.